it is sometimes hard picking the genuine needy people to the ones who probably don't deserve that second chance. But we always like to look at the good and sometimes that goes pear-shaped, but we learn from that and we put systems in place to cope with that as well. You're listening to Elevate, the official podcast of Elite Agent for real estate industry sales professionals, property managers and leaders. We're proud to present Courageous Conversations, a podcast series focusing on the tough decisions people have made to put themselves on a pathway to success. This episode is brought to you by Connect Now, who makes the business of moving easier for both you and your clients. For more information, visit connectnow.com.au. Please welcome your host, Leanne Pilkington. Hey everyone, Leanne Pilkington here for the latest edition of Courageous Conversations and with me I have got Amanda Tate from LJ Hooker Tari. Hey Amanda, how are you? I'm really good, thanks Leanne. Thank you for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for making the time. Firstly, can you tell us a little bit about your business up there in Tari? Yeah, so we're very much a regional business. We've got a staff of 23, so we're quite a big regional business and we have a large property management portfolio. We sell anything. So we sell being regional, you tend to do that. So we do farms, we do businesses, we do houses, lifestyle blocks, land developments, commercial, industrial, yeah, right through. Yeah, wow. Keeps it interesting, right? Yes, definitely. (laughs) Now, we're in the grip of a rental housing crisis around the country. How's that playing out in Tarae? We're almost getting to desperate measures to the point where our services are all coming together to actually discuss ways of finding a solution moving forward. I think that we all understand that we have a role to play, which is very important, but our crisis has been coming on for possibly just over three years. You could see the writing on the wall and then we've had things added to it like the bushfires, which wiped out I think about 112 homes in our area. So suddenly you've got emergency housing and then, of course, COVID hit and with COVID came the mass infiltration of people from the city and people moving out, like getting out before lockdown and they were prepared to pay anything for rent but also our landlords were taking back their rental homes so we were vacating tenants as well and it was just a snowball effect. So we're in desperate situation now where we've got motels full, pubs full, caravan parks full and people backpacking with family and people out on the streets. I've got a homeless man living under our stairs at work actually. We quite often give him a bit of food and a a blanket and we decide normally we would move them on but it's too hard at the moment. It's cold, it's still cold and we're feeling there's good people that deserve a home. It's not just the people that don't deserve a home that are homeless. No, that's absolutely tragic. And the horrifying part is it's not just in your area, it's literally happening around the country. But you've taken some pretty serious measures yourself. Tell us about what you've done up there. So we've taken a different approach. Years ago, we decided it wasn't worth fighting with tenants that weren't making their home sustainable for all different reasons, like either not paying their rent or not looking after their property. So we started to actually, rather than fighting with them, educating them. And that sort of led to a transitional housing where we organised a motel and we let that be taken over because you can't really mix homeless people with overnight stays because it's very, very different dynamics. So we actually were housing 
people that had done something wrong, their name was on TCAR, so they had a bad reference, but their lives had changed. Sometimes it was the partner or a marriage breakup or they lost their job or domestic violence yeah. was a big issue and an even bigger issue now. Mm-hmm. So we gave them furnished accommodation and we would let them build up their reference. We'd have a caretaker on site and we'd actually get to know them and we'd teach them. So paying rent and the importance, a lot of social work, I suppose, comes into it, but that is with property management, whether you like it or not. And we found that we were having a good success rate. So doing this, we actually formed relationships with Compass Housing, who are home in place now, Samaritans, the women's hostel and all the services in town because they knew we had the accommodation. So it quickly expanded to what else could we find and we ended up taking over the accommodation above two of the main hotels. Now some people might think oh that's pretty rough or whatever but we always ensure that the rooms are clean and tidy. Some of them might be old but I'm a great believer that there's no excuse for filth. So we would put them in there and we'd let them build up a reference and then we would focus on putting them into private housing. So with sustainable rent that became their home. So we've got a lot of long-term tenants that you become friendly with and have that nice relationship. So it's pretty easy to ring them up when something goes wrong and say, hey, you need to pay your rent. They're very apologetic. So it's just sort of gone from there. It's a phenomenal story. So who owns the properties, the hotels? I have to admit, I own one. And then I've got landlords that own a couple. I've got one particular. Don't be embarrassed to admit that you own one. I mean, I just think it's phenomenal. Well, we bought it for that purpose. And it was because I have a landlord that has one of the hotels and he has a few accommodation centres around New South Wales. And I suppose I learned from him how to manage it, how to run it, what services they need and some of the signs to look out for, like it is sometimes hard picking the genuine needy people to the ones who probably don't deserve that second chance. But we always like to look at the good and sometimes that goes pear-shaped, but we learn from that and we put systems in place to cope with that as well. So sometimes it's a little bit harder on the staff. They've got to learn to not get too involved, but then it's Christmas. So we've got lots of things organised for Christmas, including food drops and some dinners and things like that. Amazing. And so how many people are you housing at the moment? In transitional housing, I would hazard a guess and probably say around 100, 100 people and families, yeah. Okay. That's a lot of people in a town of your size, right? That's making a big difference. I hope so. It's really good. I think what makes it's the feel good for our team is when they're happy and they're making a home and then we see them move on into a house and long-term rental, they come in and say hello and they're usually so grateful and that's when it's all worthwhile and you know that you've done the right thing. I think as real estate agents, a lot of the time we don't realise that we have a massive responsibility to housing people. While we have landlords that make the ultimate decision, we're the one recommending, we're the one taking their information and we're the one pointing them into the right direction of where they should be living or helping them find where they want to be living. So there's a lot more to it than just selling homes and leasing homes. And I think having over 26 years in the industry, I feel that that responsibility comes back to me as a business owner and ensuring that we do our bit in town to make sure people are comfortable 
and have a home, a place that they can call home. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody needs one. And so how long do they typically spend in the transitional housing? And do you have rules around that, around how long they can spend? No, not if they're behaving, especially if they've got kids. I give them as a priority to find a home. One of the motels, I had a mother with two boys in high school and, you know, she had school uniforms hanging up on one wall and food on another wall. And, you know, within a, three weeks, we were trying to get her a house and we relocated her into something so that, you know, they're a good family. It was domestic violence. And so we all want to help. We talk to our landlords and we are honest with them, giving them the background making sure they got insurance just in case something goes wrong, especially with the new laws that are in place. Yeah, absolutely. It's terrible that you've got to think about all those things, but you do. Very much so. Yeah. And so there's an education piece as well for some of the tenants to, you know, help them to understand how to be good tenants, you know, the impact that not paying rent has on their ability to get the next property down the track. Yes. We don't like to call them lectures, but we like to call them educational sessions. Yeah. But we work with them. It's just encouraging them to pay. Some of them are just forgetful. You know, you can use Santa Pay and it's for set and forget, but then all of a sudden they got a big electricity bill or car rego to pay and they'll stop the payment. You know, it's one thing I've been lobbying government for quite a few years is to set and forget the rent because at the end of the day, the government picks up the tab again when the tenancy goes pear-shaped and they don't pay because they're allowed to cancel their Santa Pay. So sometimes I think yeah, it should be right. given straight to the agent and it avoids that situation where they spend it on grog or drugs or put it in poker machines that they don't have it to spend it. So their home is secure. It's safe. They can't yeah. gamble or drink that away. And have you had any positive conversations with government in that space? No, it comes back. It always comes back to their civil liberty. There's some law yeah. around that that it can't be enforced even though I feel it's for their own protection. But a lot of politicians don't look at housing when you ask them questions around what they're doing here. Yeah, I'm saying that they waste, I'm going to say that, they waste a lot of money with housing. There's money everywhere. Money comes at you for payments, for tenants that have gone wrong, for tenants that have done damage, for caseworkers, for social workers. They have their funds. I just feel with the government there's a lot they could do to improve and spend those funds in other ways that would be more beneficial to keep people in home. Well, I'll send them a copy of this podcast if you like. And you might no, get a phone call from somebody. Yeah. Thanks, <laughs> Happy to help if I can. That. Just a soapbox would be good for 10 minutes. Yeah, exactly. And so have you got a wait list for your transitional housing? Yes, we do. So... One goes out, the room gets clean, and the next one goes in pretty much. The next one comes straight in. And um, how long have you been doing this? Oh, wow, that's a big question. I would think that it has evolved probably over the last six to eight years. Yeah, right. We started slowly and maybe a bit longer in a smaller fashion. I've been on the bandwagon about educating tenants for a long time with people like Samaritans and that. Yeah, it's a great idea. You don't think about it. And a lot of the time, you know, we've all been doing it for so long, we understand the systems and the processes and the implications of things. But if it's never been explained to you, then you're not going to really understand it. So I think I have done a few sessions with um, year 12 students because being in Taree, a lot of our students go to Sydney, to uni, 
at a young age or Newcastle or Gold Coast. So yeah. I love getting in their ear and just telling them how important it is to maintain a good rental reference while they want to just go yeah. in there and party. It's yeah. affecting them, you know, five years on. So I yeah, do go to I'm schools sure that I... would be horrified yeah. if they realised how long it can impact them. We do uh, community webinars once a month with Lang and Simmons. You know, sometimes it's first home buyers, sometimes you know, all kinds of different things, but I'm going to do one with you next year, if that's okay, on exactly that, educating tenants on the importance of... The that's rental. actually a really good idea. I'm going to write that one down. Yeah, I'm happy to share. Absolutely happy to Thanks. share. Yeah, there's lots of things that you can talk about. Anyway, we can talk about that when I see you at the next board meeting. I'll give you a bit of an idea of some of the stuff we've done. And so what's next? Next is focusing on one of the other areas of concern was youth. And we have a, what the government calls a SIL program. And you go, mm, I wish I had a hat. I can't remember what it is. It Basically, it's youth living. So they're under 18, usually 15 to 18. And they can't get housing because they can't, they're not old enough to sign a lease. So the lease is usually head leased by one of the charities that have the funding for the youth to look after the youth. So we started leasing. We thought, oh, this is great. The rent will come in. You've got a caseworker going and visiting the youth. And it didn't work out that way at all. Within three weeks, it was becoming the local drop-in centre. And you'd have kids there and they had no idea about cooking, cleaning, even putting the garbage out to the main garbage bin. And they would be ending up in filth and creating noise and disturbances and we would have to terminate their tenancy. And within three months, they would have racked up maybe a five or $6,000 damage bill that the charity was paying. And I could see where they were going wrong. Dumping a kids, they're still children. I don't care what anyone says, 15, 16, 17, even 18. They're still kids trying to find their way. They are young adults. But even our kids, you know, we were constantly telling them, you know, you pick up your clothes, clean your room, do this, come home by this time, get to bed. They don't have anyone saying that. And they've never had any lessons on what foods to eat or anything like that. So one day I sat down after seeing another failure and I had an opportunity to, I was selling a, because I do commercial real estate. So I was selling a small motel, family run motel. And we got close a couple of times. And I said to my husband, you know, if this doesn't sell, it is perfect for a youth hostel. There's 10 rooms internally. There's a really good caretaker's residence. There's a yard, barbecue area. It's close to town, walking distance, close to those high schools. And I said, that's when the idea came. I drew this little map of having a house and a safe place and using all my contacts to help these kids that would pay rent and have their caseworkers and their government Mm -hmm. funding, but integrate in a family home where they could cook together, learn to clean. They had a laundry. They had a caretaker who was there to look out for them. We could teach them skills like dressing up for a job interview, getting them work experience with all our people within town and trying to do something about the youth crisis rather than complain about it. So from there, that has taken off and that's come into fruition. We opened up a week after COVID lockdown. That was a bit difficult. So it was a bit slow to get off the ground, but we constantly have 10 teenagers. It is like having 10 teenagers in your house. They You're constantly telling them to go to bed, clean your room, all the same things, but we're teaching them, teaching them to clean a toilet, teaching them to cook eggs on toast and 
vegetables. What vegetables are? We have a fruit of the week and we have a fruit bowl and we have a couple of meals prepared well with them because we want to teach them and teaching them to budget and finding out what they're passionate about and creating a desire to work for a living and have money to spend on yourself and spend on things for yourself and taking pride in where you live. So it's slow to take off, but it's working and we've just actually transferred. And how do you fund that? Is there government funding or? We have had our first grant. The problem has been with the real estate market being so busy, I haven't had time to apply for grant, but I was given a grant. Yeah, I don't know how you've had time to do what you've done. <laughs> so I have really good staff, really good staff who share my vision and a really good family that also share our vision. And it's just been amazing the help we've had from the business community and the charities within the community and just people, the women in business here. You know, last yeah. year they supplied them with Christmas stockings. So we yeah. had a Christmas dinner. And, you know, I had two sisters there. One of the sisters wasn't living there because she was too young, but she came to the dinner and they pulled a bonbon. They didn't even know how to pull a bonbon. She was 17 years old, never experienced one before. Never seen it. Yeah, so that's very heartwarming. Yeah, it really is a different world. I'm involved in a charity called Sister to Sister, which is a mentoring program for at-risk teenage girls. And a lot of what you're saying really rings through. Yeah, really rings true. They don't know, you know, we take them to Oz Harvest, for example, and teach them how to cook and do all kinds of that sort of stuff with them as well. So I was shocked when I first got involved. It's just such a surprise that people's lives are so different to ours, right? Yeah. I love listening to their stories. And, you know, I had a girl in there and she had 20 siblings, 20 siblings. Father was a drug addict. Mother was a drug addict. Actually, her father was a drug dealer. And she just had no, uh, a few social skills, but her younger sister couldn't stay because she was actually damaged. She had alcohol infant syndrome. I guess the correct terminology. She had a diabetes. She was a big girl because she didn't follow any sort of diet. And she also had anger management issues. So wherever she stayed, she damaged everything. She was only 14. So, you know, we don't have enough to help those ones, but the ones who are a little bit independent and want to make a life for themselves, they're great. They're great kids. They just need to help up and they need to be taught like we teach our kids. Well, you are doing an amazing job and I'm so grateful that I've got the opportunity to share your story out because I know that people are going to be blown away by what you guys are doing up there. So congratulations. Thank you, Leanne. I couldn't do it without all the help I have from the people. You know, as they say, it takes a community to raise a child. So sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you've attracted the right team around you, which is just amazing. So thank you for taking the time to share the story. I know everyone's going to really enjoy it. My pleasure. Thanks, Leanne. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Courageous Conversations with thanks to connectnow.com.au. Don't forget to get access to all of Elite Agency's premium resources, including a detailed episode guide for this podcast. Visit joineliteagent.com.